to be looking at this together. Let me tell you a little bit about my parents. I grew up not only watching my parents give generously, I was allowed to participate, probably like many of you, and they would allow all six of us siblings to take turns at church to put the check into the offering plate. That was such an excitement for us, even as a little child. My parents supported our church first, and then missionaries, and then other people who were in need. And they taught me, and they taught my siblings, generous giving. And there were times, I don't know if you've ever, I think if you're old enough, you probably can relate to what I'm about to tell you, but there were times when my parents, my mom, would pull out from underneath the sink a box of powdered milk. And all of us knew without anybody telling us, my dad didn't have work lined up, things were getting really, really tight, and we had to go back to drinking powdered milk. And yet, even in the midst of when my dad, who was a contractor, built churches all over New York State, houses, schools, barns, homes, even when he didn't have work lined up and were drinking powdered milk, my parents still gave generously. My father died in 1987, November 13th, but my mom, now living on her teacher's pension in Social Security, still gave faithfully to her church and people in need. Two and a half years before, I got to tell you a little bit about my mom, two and a half years before I was born, this is 1964, my mom stalled her car on the railroad tracks. I know right where it was. If I grew up looking out this big picture window, the tracks were right to my right on Route 13, right where it turned off to Middle Lake Road. And she tried to stop, of all trains, it was the Lehigh Valley Express, interesting. She stopped on the first rail and tried to back up, but stalled the car in her panic, and the train hit the car. And it threw her 122 feet. My brother John was in the car with her. My sister Becky, what she was pregnant with my sister Becky, ruined my mom's knees. It destroyed her teeth. From that point on, she had dentures. And not too long ago, about maybe five years ago, some of my mom's teeth in those dentures had fallen out. They were broken. And she could afford new ones if she would just stop giving to everybody, but she wouldn't. So she made do year after year with those dentures until finally a relative who heard about this and who was a dentist donated dentures to her. Now, some would think how sad that is, but honestly, I think my mom's a hero. And she's one who is living for eternity. Now, I want you to take that example, and let's get into the story and the passage. We're, we're wrapping up this series called Cornerstone on Purpose, and here's our, our purpose statement for our church. Very simple. We want to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ who, three things, love God, grow together, and serve others. And we're about to see how the good news of God's gift to us can transform us to become cheerful givers as we serve other people. And I believe, now I want you to hear this, this is actually one of the most important things I'm gonna say because I'm not sure everybody here is gonna actually believe it, much less relate to this. So can you listen really hard what I'm about to tell you? 
I believe generous giving produces perhaps the most joyful life possible. Now, some of you are nodding your head because you know you've experienced this. And some of us, we hold back and you haven't. And I'm asking God to unlock further in my life and in Denise's life and my family's life and in your lives as well. Generous giving. Because generous giving, and you can see this on the screen, comes from a joyful heart of faith that views our material possessions as a means of blessing others and laying up treasures for eternity. Now, that being said, you're going to watch this woven throughout all five pretty brief, some of them more brief than others, points I'm going to make. Here we go. Generous givers have a promise. Let's get right into the text. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse 6 with me. Can you all follow along with me? Paul the Apostle is writing to the church at Corinth, and he writes this. The point is this. So this is pastor speak, teacher speak, for he's wrapping up. He's summarizing. Not wrapping up, but he's summarizing. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now let's just stop right there because some of you are very alert to prosperity theology. You ought to be because this sounds, doesn't it, like God will make you rich if you give. This is what prosperity teaching says. If you can actually compound this a little bit by reading Proverbs 3, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Right? So that's what they teach. This is what it kind of seems like Paul is saying is if you give, God's going to just bless you with riches. And you're going to be wealthy beyond imagination. Actually, what Paul's doing in verse 6 is telling us about the law of the harvest. And the law of the harvest is this. A farmer reaps in proportion to what he sows. So Paul writes, sow bountifully. Now imagine, ready? Now get in your mind's eye for a moment. Imagine you're a farmer and you've got a 40-acre field. And it's planting time. It's April. And you take a bag of seed a bag of corn seed out to that 40-acre field, and you plant it. And in October, what do you think is going to look like when you look at that field? It's going to be pretty sparse. Paul applies that very principle to generous giving. For if you give little, God will give little. But whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. If you sow a lot of seed, you're going to reap now, what does that actually mean? Well, let's get into the Greek just a little bit. Remember, the New Testament's translated mostly from Greek, a little bit of Aramaic, the Old Testament translated from Hebrew. So let's get into bountifully. It means with blessing. If I were you, I would underline bountifully in verse 6 and put that in the margin. And what it means is this, therefore, whoever gives generously as a blessing to others will experience God's blessings in return to you. Because, friends, God will never be in our debt. And when we give God's way, we cannot ever outgive God. But if we hold on to our possessions, if we sow sparingly, 
with an ownership mentality that what I have is mine. I've worked hard for it. I possess it. It will eventually possess you, and you will experience God holding on to his blessings. He becomes frugal towards you. Proverbs 11 says, one who gives freely yet grows all the richer, another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Now, if you left this message right now, you're probably going to be wondering if I've become a prosperity teacher. Therefore, if you try to leave this building before I am done, I am calling you out. You've got to get the whole truth. You just wait on this for a few more minutes. You're going to see a little bit more of a perspective. How do we give generously God's way? Number two, generous givers give on principle. Verse seven, each one must give as as he has decided in his heart. Now, ladies, don't be off put because we're using male or Paul uses male gender terminology. This is not reduced to men. This is just a way of saying each one must give as he or she has decided in their hearts, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, just stop right there. Let that echo in your, your heart for a little bit. Are you hearing that? God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I I really don't know what you give. I don't ever get into the finances of our church. I don't even have the password. Literally, I don't even have a key to where the money is put in the safe and counted. I have no idea what anybody in this church gives other than my wife and I. I don't even know what my children give. I just keep encouraging them to give generously. So I don't know what you give, but I'm telling you this, God loves a cheerful giver. And there are particular ways of principles of giving if we're going to give God's way. Paul's bringing it out. Number, letter A, we should give thoughtfully. Look what he said, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Generosity looks very different person to person. With some, they're able to give very large amounts, and other people are able to give smaller amounts. But we are to give not reactively, not worked up in our emotions, not without thought. Listen, you don't just, without thinking about it, and here comes the basket down the aisle, and you hurry up, and you open up your purse or your wallet, or reach in your pocket, and you throw a couple bills in there. That's not giving God's way. That's not giving thoughtfully. You are to put, and I am to put, great consideration in our generosity. You put a great deal of thought into giving beforehand. You visualize, listen, this is what we do. This is what you ought to do. You visualize the impact your gift will have on the recipient. If I were you, I would follow where that gift goes. I would want to know if you're giving a Cornerstone, what is Cornerstone doing with it? How are they blessing others? How are they being used by God? On the spot giving, I want you to hear this, because I, I think a lot of us do this. On the spot giving is not often done wisely with discernment. Now hear this, nor is it usually generous enough. 
Well, there's more principles that Paul gives us. Secondly, letter B, we should give freely, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not reluctantly, or else we're giving like an owner. If you give reluctantly or begrudgingly, listen, that's telling you you're, you have the ownership mentality, that your fingers are closed over it, and you feel guilt or shame or manipulated to open up your fingers. That's not generosity. That's not giving the way that God gives or wants you to give. You're a steward, and I am as well, of all that you have. You're not a possessor, you're a steward. And you shouldn't ever give from coercion with somebody trying to tell you that if you don't give, God's going to make your life fall apart. That is not the gospel of generosity. You shouldn't give from a false promise that if you do give, you're going to get back a hundredfold for your own pleasure. You shouldn't be pressured to give by a family member, not by a pastor, not by a church, not by a gut-wrenching TV ad. You should only give freely. All of Christian generosity should originate from a willing desire to give. If you don't have a willing desire to give, listen, then the gospel has not yet unlocked from your heart generosity. Paul is not even done yet. Not only should we give freely, not only should we give thoughtfully, we should give cheerfully, for God loves a cheerful giver. Acts chapter 20, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm not actually sure that's Acts chapter 20. You can look that up. And if that's true, how enjoyable it is to be able to bless somebody that you know will receive it wisely. It's not really that joyful when you bless somebody and they squander it. That's why you give thoughtfully. But the most amazing statement is this. Once again, God loves a cheerful giver. What does that actually mean? Well, let's just be brave. Let's be courageous to actually say this. It's actually not very ambiguous. There is a degree of satisfaction and pleasure that God gains when his children give generously. Did you know that God can gain pleasure from us? Did you know that God could be angered with us, that God could be disappointed and grieve and weep from us? Well, it's not all bad. God really takes pleasure. It really gladdens his heart when we give generously and cheerfully. Well, we've got to keep moving. Look at point number three. You're going to see more of this, and I'm going to provide some balance that Paul provides. Generous givers receive more for a reason. Now, I'm going to take a break really quickly to tell you something from Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll wrote this about his brother Orville, who is a respected missionary who was never wealthy, but he was generous with what he had. He never held back from the Lord, and that's still true to this day. Now watch what happens in Chuck Swindoll's home when Swindoll was a teenager and his brother Orville came to visit. This faith that he had led him to serve the Lord for more than 30 years in Argentina. And prior to that, he had come north to gather his wife, Emma Jean, and the kids for a long trip down into the far reaches of South America. So they're about to take a trip through South America. 
And before leaving, they all stopped off at the Swindoll home for a quick visit with our parents in Houston, Texas. Now, you have to appreciate the kind of man my father was. If you look up the word responsible in the dictionary, his picture is there. To him, risks, is this you, by the way? Risks are for those who fail to plan. Responsible people leave nothing to chance. As far as he was concerned, faith is something you exercise when your three backup plans fall through and you've run out of all your other options. My father was a believer, but he never understood the life of faith. My brother, on the other hand, was stimulated by faith. He has lived his entire adult life on the raw edge of faith. To him, life doesn't get exciting until God and God alone can get us through some specific challenge. Let me assure you, that drove our dad nuts. After a great supper, my mother and sister went into the kitchen, leaving my father at one end of the table, Orville at the other, and me sitting on one side, and then it started. Son, how much money do you have for your long trip? Oh, Dad, don't worry about it. We're going to be fine. And before he could change the subject, my father pressed the issue. Son, answer me. How much money do you have in your wallet? Orville smiled and shrugged as he said, I don't have any in my wallet. Remember, they're on a trip to South America. I sat silent, Chuck said, watching this verbal tennis match. Nothing in your wallet? How much money do you have? You're getting ready to go to South America. How much money you got for that trip? With that, my brother smiled, dug into his pocket, pulled out a quarter, set it on its edge on the end of the table, then gave it a careful thump it slowly rolled past me all the way to my father's end of the table and fell into his hand. And Dad said, a quarter. That's all you've got. Orville broke into an even bigger smile and said, yeah, isn't that exciting? That was not the word my father had in mind. After a heavy sigh and a very brief pause, Dad shook his head and said, Orville, I just don't understand you. My brother grew more serious, looking dad in the eyes. He quietly answered without blinking, no, dad, you never have. Chuck concludes, I don't know how he actually made the trip to their destination or how he and, and Emma Jean took care of all their little kids, but they made it and they never went hungry. And they faithfully served in Buenos Aires and traveled to other parts of the world for more than three decades. And my father was a man who lived through the Great Depression. He lived in fear of poverty his whole life. He seldom took a risk. And I must add, he never experienced the joy of trusting God, the one who made my brother smile so big on that day. Now, I'm going to tell you, there are some of you in here who resonate with Dad. And there are some of you in here who almost resonate with Orville. The Apostle Paul, verse 8, addresses this. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Those are called superlatives. That's the Bible's way of putting exclamation points. You may abound in every good work. For it is, or as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Look at that phrase again. I would underline it if I were you in your Bibles. All grace abound. That means that God will give you more than enough material blessings as well as the inward spiritual motivation to share them. Now, did you hear what I just said? Because there's actually two parts of that. God will give you all the material blessings you need to do all he's going to ask you to do. Now listen, don't stop there because you're not at the gospel yet. You're at truth, you're just not at the gospel's truth. And he will give you the inward motivation to share them with others. See, God is always able to outgive his children and to provide for what we give away. Do you ever think of what you could do with your money that you give to other people, that you give to your church? Does it ever cross your mind the vacations, the nicer vacations you could afford, the better cars, the less stressful job? You could just downsize to an easier job. But gospel generation, generosity rather, believes that God is able to fill the gap that your giving creates, that you would have sufficiency in all things at all times, that you would have all you really need and you will be content. That's the gospel's promise. And I'm not sure how often that settles into the hearts of the, of the Christians in this church. Now again, I don't know that because I don't know what you give. But I know the human struggle with generosity. Now hear this. And I know that that struggle is only winnable by the power of the gospel. The fact is that the majority of Christians, I'm going to tell you raw statistics, barely, barely outgives non-believers to charitable donations across America. And the fact is that the majority of Christians struggle to trust God at his word. And he is trustworthy. Hundreds of times the word of God encourages us. Trust God and give. Deuteronomy 15, you shall give to him freely. And your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Why? Because this because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. God will richly bless those who give generously. So why? Here's the reason. So that they will be able to give even more. Now, we just got off the bus of prosperity theology, and we took a hard right away from them because they don't teach the second part. They got the first part down, that God will richly bless the givers but they keep telling everybody it's so that you can get better cars so that you can get more money but that's not the gospel the gospel is god will bless generous givers because he sees how you're going to use them so that you can use what his, he's going to bless you with even more for people that are in need Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. Look at what it says. Can you all look at this with me? Verse 10. Why is he going to multiply your seed? For sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. This means ministry. This means he's going to bless you if you're giving generously because he wants you to give even more to people in need, even more to your church, even more to ministries, even more to missionaries. This is why God will increase your blessings. And then verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. you got to underline, circle, to be. Because somehow it keeps getting missed. You will be enriched in every way. And here is why. In order to be generous in every way. So Christian, here's the gospel. So liberally, so continuously, so generously. And you will reap much in order to reinvest it into God's kingdom. We need more of God's people to invest God's money into God's work. So Christian, be free from the ownership mentality. Give generously. Trust your God. Invest it in God's work here and other places, not just Cornerstone. And even the seeds that you sow, the possessions that you give generously, they were given to you by God. They're not gained by your own effort. You might think that you're getting it from your own effort, but who gave you the ability to get it? It all belongs to God. And when you get an increase from the Lord, listen, ask the Lord if he has plans for that increase before you think of what you would like to get with that increase. If you make more sales this month, then ask God, why, God, did you give me that increase? Have you ever asked God that when you get a bonus, when you get an unexpected gift, when you have a very profitable month? It's all from God. Have you ever stopped to say, God, why did you give this to us? Is it for us to reinvest or is it to meet the needs that we have or even possibly both? Fear holds us back. Faith propels us upward to trust God as we give generously. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service, that means the the ministry of the service is the giving that the church at Corinth is providing. It's not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. This is how it goes up, which is point four. Generous givers bless outward and upward. Generous givers bless outward and upward. Please hear what I'm about to tell you. You will not become a generous giver by your own determination. It's not going to happen. It might temporarily result in an uptick of what you give. Eventually, I'm going to tell you, your flesh, your onboard spiritual opposition to God and orientation to yourself will bring that giving back down to the plumb line that points right back to you. You cannot change generosity by your own determination. Paul's going to tell you how it happens. Look at verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Now we're talking about the gospel. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because, and here it is, of the surpassing grace of God upon you. 
We will become generous givers when and only when the surpassing grace of God ignites generosity within us. Because giving generously is God's grace that is spilling from our hearts in the form of generosity. Have you ever seen generosity like that? That is a material blessing of the grace of God. That was what was in your heart. And generosity provided a conduit for that grace, that surpassing grace of God that's been lodging in your hearts to find an expression. And it affects those around you. Look what he said. Their approval of our generosity moves them to glorify God. It's outward and upward. We glorify God when people see behind our actions that it is God who made that generous gift happen. All because the surpassing grace of God has proven itself effective in our hearts so that we would give outward and upward and he enriches us in every way. Why? To reinvest in his kingdom. But there is one more point. And this, to me, is the absolutely center of the motivational power of the gospel. Number five, generous givers are motivated by God's generous giving. Look at what he says in verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The basis, Christian, of our generosity is our generously giving God. None of his gifts is greater than the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul underscored this in Romans 5. He reflected on the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to ask you something, and this just makes sense. This is not particularly insightful, but I think it is a little bit bracing when you give, now listen, I realize we give time, talent, and treasure. This message is focusing on the latter one. But when we give of our treasure, can I really just ask you to deliberate with this? You're the only one that's going to answer this in full view of God. I don't know the answer for you. I can only tell you the answer for me. But when you give generously, are you giving your best? Are you thinking on that? Don't put your mind in neutral. You're just going to walk out of here the same way you came in. That's not really gospel listening to preaching. When you give, are you giving your best? I'm not even talking about you hear that somebody has a need for a dresser and you've got a ratty old dresser in your, in your garage. And you, I'm not talking about the quality of your gift. Are you giving your best, your motivational best for God's glory? That reflects God's best that he gave to you. Now, he didn't send John the Baptist to die for us. That wouldn't have worked very well because John the Baptist is a sinner, as am I, as are you. He didn't send Moses, his friend, to die on that cross. He didn't send anybody but his son, Jesus Christ. 
Now, parents, I know you're going to resonate with this. It just makes sense. If there is any other way to save somebody's life other than having to end your own child's, would you not take that other way? It just wouldn't make sense that if there was another way or a better gift than Jesus for the salvation and the redemption of this world, that Jesus wouldn't have given that or that God wouldn't have given that. He gave the very best. There is nothing better than Jesus. And we are to reflect that. And this is what Paul is saying. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That's the motivation. That ought to be the litmus test. That ought to be the filter when we are giving, not to give a little bit and feel better about ourselves. It shouldn't make you feel better if you're not giving your best. Knowing how greatly God has given to us is the internal motivation for our own generosity. And I would invite you to think on this, that God gave what was most precious to him, that's his son, to die for a people who did not deserve it in order to save them from what they did deserve, and that is judgment and punishment and hell. And when that truth settles deep enough in your heart, all all of a sudden, it's going to unlock the very best that you have. It's going to uncurl your fingers from what you have, and you're going to become a steward rather than a possessor, a manager rather than an owner. That's the way the gospel motivates Christian generosity. And when that truth really settles into your heart, what do you possibly have that you're not willing to lay at the the Lord's feet? Well, let's put a few zinger questions into all of our hearts, mine included. What if God asked you to take some of your retirement account and give it away to somebody that's in need? I'm going to tell you, for most of us, that's unthinkable because that account is untouchable but it's God's. And if you've curled your fingers over it, you don't trust him for your future. You trust yourself for your future. What if God asked you to downsize your life to free up money in order to give to a missionary? What if God asked you to increase how much you give to your church? What if God asked you to personally underwrite one of our missionaries this year? What if God asked you to pay for the retreat fee for someone who can't afford to go or to provide a meal or to give a car that you don't need to someone whose vehicle broke down to not charge them a rental fee for it? See, Martin Luther learned, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all he means i've curled my fingers around them and i've lost every one of them but whatever i have placed in god's hands that i still possess generous people often give more than they are asked have you ever actually outgiven the request that's what generosity looks like when, they, when they're asked uh, to respond to a great cause, they answer 
the need. They give more than just their money. Even when they differ from one another, have you ever been generous to somebody that you don't even like? Or that's wired so differently from you that it drives you nuts? Have you ever given generously even when nobody else would give to that person or to that ministry or to that church or to that organization? See, this passage is bracing because I don't know if there's a bigger idol for Americans than what we have. We worship it. All of us fall into that trap. It's a continually constant source of our worship to dislodge the ownership mentality from our hearts and to unlock generosity. It is so terribly difficult for us. It's actually, ironically, not as hard for people in the Democratic Republican Republic or in Haiti, both, of place, both places where I went, and I watched people pour out bowls of beans because they don't have any money, but at least they bring beans to their pastor so that the pastor can send those beans to hurting people who don't have any food. Their worship services last for 30 minutes because they don't pass a basket. They put it up front and everybody comes up dancing in the DRC. They come dancing with their gifts and it's a joy to give to God in front of everybody. You don't have everybody have their eyes closed out of modest respect. They're all clapping when people bring gifts. Why? Not to bring glory to the person because they know those gifts are going to be reinvested in God's kingdom and they are seeing generosity unlock and it's an example that increases each other's generosity they do it very differently than they do in america and how ironic is it that what jesus talked more than anything else in the gospels about is money well that's a bit of a clue here's the five points i'm going to end with a question Give generously, you will reap bountifully. Give generously on principle, uniquely, decisively, freely, cheerfully. Give generously, reap bountifully. Why? In order that you may give even more. Give generously to God's work and bring glory to our great God, and you will bless people outward and our Father upward. And give generously. Why? Because the greatest motivation you have is that God has given us his very best in his son, Jesus Christ. Here's my question as we close. With that filter overlaying our generosity, are you generous enough? I cannot answer that for you. But I have to answer that for me. With the filter of what we just talked about, overlaying your generosity, are you generous enough? If not, what's wrong? Uncurl your fingers. Let the gospel motivate cheerful, decisive, exciting giving, and trust your God like Orville who knows that you cannot outgive God and he will supply everything you need. Amen?